Hello, my friends. Glad you're here with us today. And I'm really excited about this series and the wrap-up today, Deep Problems, Deeper Grace. So each one of you are here. So glad you're here. Those of you who are here with us online, so glad you've joined us. This is the uh, capstone of this four-part series, and I hope that it goes well for us today. I'm excited about it. hope that when you walk away, you'll be excited about what you've learned today as well. I want to just go with a little bit of a review of where we've been. Uh, in our first week together, we had to wake up to the problem, and the problem is that uh, we tend to want freedom without boundaries. We think of freedom as that. I get to choose my own boundaries, and yet God tells us, no, we're not happy human beings when we're choosing our own boundaries. And so we discover a little bit about God and we discover a little bit about ourselves when he gives us Ten Commandments. And we discover that there are some problems as a result of the fall of humanity. And these commandments point to those problems and point us to a deeper grace. The commandments actually are a guide more than just boundaries, a guide that brings us to our need for grace. So we wake up to the problem. A second session together, why profanity is a problem, we kind of touched on not just profanity, but all those things that we think are no big deal are actually bigger than we realize because of how God views them. We took a look at Jesus' teaching about how it's not just what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside and how it comes out and how that is messing up so many things. And then last week we took a look at expose the problem of pride. And so we finished today with... Well, we're going to change the title, like I mentioned, Lift the Sewer Lid, and we changed it to something a little bit more positive, How to Make Your Life a Sweet Fragrance. And so how many of you are ready to smell sweeter today? That's the target. Our target today is to smell sweeter and actually learn how that works to have a sweeter smell. Now, in Paul's language, he actually gives us the target. In 2 Corinthians 2.15, we read this. Maybe. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So this is the target. We aren't always this way. Sometimes to people we don't smell like Christ. And so the target is for each of us who are Christ followers to uh, be a pleasing aroma to God that we smell more like Christ. Now, the problem with this target is that we approach this target the way we think we should approach it. And sometimes the way we think we should approach it is exactly wrong. And we want to make ourselves smell sweeter by hiding everything that smells not so sweet. And so uh, that's why originally I wanted to title this Lift the Sewer Lid because we want to keep the sewer lid clamped down shut and everything that's underneath the surface that we know doesn't smell so sweet inside of us, we want to hide it from anybody and everybody so that we can smell sweet. And so there's a problem there. We're going to identify that. We're going to hear it from Jesus himself. Point number one is this. We want to hide our stink. So on the one hand, it seems like that's the right approach. We want to hide our stink. I mean, cities do this. 
Cities create the sewer systems to hide the whole city's stink. And so the big lid is placed on the sewer system. And and I don't know if you really looked at those lids, but there's a little tiny hole in the lid because there's a lever that can be put into that hole to lift that lid to access the sewer and do some sewer management, whatever that might be. And so you need to be able to take that up. And so here's the metaphor. The sewer lid is the pride. The lever to lift that lid is the commandments. And Jesus uses the lever frequently to lift the pride off the sewer of our lives so that we will take a look at the deep problems inside. And when we look at the deep problems inside, if we always keep the pride lid over it, we'll begin to think we're doing all right because everybody thinks we're doing all right because we're hiding it from everybody. But Jesus says that's the wrong approach. You're never going to smell sweeter if it's all a facade. You're never going to get to the place where you smell like Christ if it's only on the outside. And so we want to kind of look at that through a confrontation that Jesus gives. And so Matthew 23, 26, I'm going to jump way late in his gospel. Then we're going to come back to the beginning part of this gospel to kind of see how this all works. He told the Pharisees and the experts in the commandments, the teachers of the law, he said, first clean the inside of the cup, then the outside also will be clean. He was harsh. He says, woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law. You busy yourself cleaning the outside and you're not cleaning the inside. Don't you know that if you clean the inside, then the outside will be clean? Think about your uh, cereal bowl this morning. If you had cereal, don't just clean the outside and then put it back in the cupboard. Because who's going to want to eat out of your cereal bowl if you're just kind of cleaning the outside? No, clean the inside. Now you're a useful vessel for God to decide, I'm going to use this person. And there's actually teaching about that. Here's another example, Matthew 23, 28. On the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Sounds like the same thing, but Jesus gets really harsh here. You Pharisees, you teachers of law, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs, and inside you're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. It's like, whoa, Jesus, wow. And he's so frustrated at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who have done the clamp down the sewer as tight as you can, let nobody know, and as long as the outside facade looks good, that's how you obey God. And Jesus said, that's completely wrong. And he is going to help us to see that. So we're going to back up to where he says this is completely wrong. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness... Now here's a whole crowd in front of them. And I can't believe he says this, and they can't believe he says this. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's like saying... You think they're so great, they're not getting in. And if you think you're getting in by following their example, you will never get in that way. It's the wrong target. You have the wrong model. They're presenting themselves as the wrong model to all of us. And Jesus is 
a guy that says it with authority. It's like, whoa, just the talk of the town, the whole region. And they're thinking, this is shocking. If they can't get into the kingdom of heaven, how are we going to get into the kingdom of heaven? Because as far as they're concerned, they're so righteous, they're weird. And if their weirdness is not acceptable, what are you talking about? And Jesus has to help them see that that's not the standard. Nope, no way, it's bad. The sewer lids clamp down. You can't smell how awful it is, but inside it's full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. It's just rot in the bowl. And you think anybody wants that? And actually the common people sort of get it because the Pharisees and teachers of the law always look down their noses at them always were judgmental and mean and cruel and calling them people that are against God. You've got to shape up and look more like us. And pushing people away from God in the process. And this was a problem from Jesus' perspective. So we want to hide our stink, but we need to be really, really careful not to go that direction if we truly want to smell better to God. So what's the better approach? And this is where we got to use the lever and, okay, hold your nose. Are you ready for the stink? Because when you lift that lid, now we're dealing with deep problems and it stinks and you have to acknowledge it before God. So point number two is this. So we want to hide our stink, but we must admit our stink. And the commandments help us to do this. And the moment we start slipping into never admitting that we have a problem, we have a problem. See what I'm saying? And that's where we need to get more real with our lives, not just with God in private, but with somebody that we get close enough to where they actually know where our struggles are. And that lifts the lid, and now you can start to address some things inside because that's how God says it works best. Let's don't do life alone. You're fooling yourself if all you ever do is confess to me, confess to me, and hold that lid down and nothing ever changes. We've got to change some things. And so we've got to figure out how to admit our stink. Now, I already quoted from a verse that we're going to build off of that our righteousness need to surpass that of the religious elite of Jesus' day if we ever hope to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's got to surpass that. But how does it surpass that is the question. How do we get to a place where our righteousness, our right standing before God, actually living with a sweet fragrance that God appreciates is a reality in our lives? And so, here's what I'd like to do. I want to paint the picture of Jesus playing, and it wasn't playing, it was actually living, show and tell. As kids, we used to play, show and tell. Bring an object, show it, and then talk about it. Jesus brought the kingdom, and he showed it, then he talked about it. So we're in Matthew 5, but in Matthew 4, he's been showing the kingdom, showing off, so to speak, it's not in a prideful way, showing God's glory and that he is the king and he's brought the kingdom with him by doing miracle after miracle after miracle, casting out demons, 
and causing people who are sick to get well. And then the whole region all over the place, you'll read at the tail end of Matthew 4, starts to gather around Jesus. And there's huge crowds following. And in the middle of this setting, he then does more than show. He begins to explain. He begins to tell. And so the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But I like to call it Jesus' kingdom manifesto because he is king and he's describing his kingdom and what it looks like to follow him as king. It's his kingdom manifesto. Imagine the crowd gathered around. He's already been ministering to those people who are the outcasts, the misfits, the poor, the sad, the broken, and they've been feeling the love of God. And so there's just energy there, more and more people gathering around Jesus. Now Jesus saw the crowds. So he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In that show-and-tell setting, he's already been showing, showing, showing. And when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, it's almost like somebody that's very poor already felt loved instead of cast off. They've always thought in terms of, they aren't blessed. How come God hasn't blessed me? Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the sad in the crowd who suddenly something inside of them is bubbling up and they're feeling loved by Jesus. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they, they will be comforted. Something's rising inside of them. There's those that feel like the only, I have no voice. I'm a nobody. It's only the powerful that are blessed. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Last week I mentioned something that, just kind of in passing, that I believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. But as a man, he was the smartest human being that ever walked this planet. And there are, pieces in the Sermon on the Mount, the more I study it, the more I think it just blows my mind. And I just want to share with you one thing. And if this connects with you, great. If it doesn't, just stick it on the shelf and and we'll move on. So here is the Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 10, which I just quoted. I want to visualize this in a parallel structure that Jesus uses that is incredible if we just get a hold of it. It isn't just a show and tell where there's this poor and mourning and meek and hungry people that they all just feel like, wow, the kingdom is for us too. Yes, that's true. But the parallel structure here that Jesus uses is so amazing, it literally helps me to kind of hold it together. It goes like this. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, you've got to be poor in spirit. You have to admit you're spiritually bankrupt. 
You're not going to get in if you think you've got it all together. The very first step to get into the kingdom of heaven is admit you need a savior. That you're so spiritually bankrupt, so got problems, deep problems, that you need a deeper grace. That's the first thing that has to happen if you expect to be in the kingdom of heaven. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, not will be someday, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the next thing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. It isn't just that, all right, all sad people and depressed people, you're so blessed. He's saying more than that. He's saying, if you realize you're spiritually bankrupt, then work to be sad about your sin. Unless you're sad about your sin, you're never going to get rid of that stink. If you actually like your sin and your sin is your friend, you're in trouble. You enjoy it. Something isn't changed inside of you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You're crying out to him because you're spiritually bankrupt and you are mourning over your sin and saying, God, I messed up. I need your help. And blessed if you're mourning over your sin because then you will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. When I was a kid, I used to play this game called Risk. And in Risk, it's just a power game where you got the map of the world and you got all the armies and you try to gain all the armies you can. You keep rolling the dice and you calculate, do I have enough power to take over the world? Oop, I better gain more power first before I keep taking over the next territory. Gain more power. And then you just take over the world. Jesus came to take over the world and he's going to do it not through a power takeover, but through a grace takeover, through a love takeover. And he's saying, only the meek inherit the earth. If you're thinking that this, this world's values is to climb up and take over and take command and expand your territory through your pride and your strength and your, you've got this, he says you've got it all wrong. If you lean on me and you lean on grace and you lean on mercy, now we're going to take a love takeover and there's going to be so many people around your life that see you as an influence because you look at them and they count in your life. Blessed are the meek for theirs. They're going to inherit the earth. Then he gets into the hungry. He's saying, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you will be filled. Now watch this. This is all kind of internal. It's inside Below the lid, it's the Beatitudes inside, but it starts to shift into external outflows, into things that people can begin to see in your life. And they parallel each other. The poor in spirit who are bankrupt receive mercy and they're in the kingdom of heaven. And because they receive mercy, they are merciful. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Now more mercy comes to you because you've received mercy and you're being merciful. You get mercy. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. And if you are repentant and mourning and sad about your sin, that's a great thing inside and people don't really see it between you and God. But what happens is you're going to have pureness of heart. Now, it's not pristine perfection of heart. Your heart begins to match what's seen on the outside. You're confessing from the inside this problem, and then God begins to change it to where the inside and outside begin to match, 
And that's called authenticity and integrity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And out of the inside attitude of humbleness, meekness, relying on God, what comes out is you become a peacemaker who is part of this risk game, taking over more and more territory because you're more into the person you're loving than into you. You're meeting their needs, influencing them, meekly addressing them, and all of a sudden they want to be more like you. You ever been around somebody who just all the conversation is all about them? But when you're with somebody who's asking you questions and are just, they just enjoy you, you're gaining influence. Blessed are the humble and the meek. And you are in a position now to start making peace in this world instead of making war. Risk, power, war, at odds, polarization. Instead of polarization, you start taking people of polar opposites out of their kingdom of hate and kingdom of darkness and through your meekness and love and mercy, they start wanting to be more like you. And they literally transfer their allegiance from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light because of your humility. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's really interesting is, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness. You'd expect Jesus to make it all come out sweet and wonderful and great, but he says, no, 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 get ready. This is war. But it's a takeover through love. But it's not going to be easy. If it was left up to me and it was left up to power, I already have a kingdom. I just separate and my kingdom is mine and blammy, here's my kingdom. But he says, no, you're a part of this. We're going to take over through grace and love and you're going to be persecuted. But blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because yours is the kingdom of heaven. So here's the inside stuff. We lift the lid and it's going to have these outflows and it's going to create this massive takeover and Jesus is king. This is his kingdom manifesto. And then he begins to continue to explain himself. Rules, commandments, how he's going to rule you and eventually rule the world. Point number three. We want to hide our stink, but we must admit our stink. Number three, the commandments expose what's inside. So the metaphor is he's going to use the commandments like a lever, lift this lid, and help us to see that that's what we've got to work on. And even in session two out of Mark 7, we already talked about what is inside of a person is what comes out and defiles that person. It's the same theme, but we're going to see it played out here. So we continue, we follow up from the verse we left off of Matthew 5.20 where he says, your righteousness have to surpass the Pharisees and then he begins to describe how it's going to surpass the Pharisees' righteousness in the very next verse, Matthew 5.21. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be in danger of the fire of hell. And he actually uses some words here. If you say raka, and they have to translate it out raka because they're not sure what raka translates to. It's only used this one time. But then the next line, if you say moron, it's translatable. Fool, in the Greek, more, moron, mora, moros. Fool, 
By the way, a sophomore is a sophisticated moron, wise fool, because they're no longer freshmen. That, that's how the Greek puts together. Anyway, moron, whoa, careful, careful. If the contempt from the inside comes out in that kind of anger, you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. That's pretty, wow. Because this is from God's holy vantage point instead of our, I'm so used to it, vantage point. We're so numb to hatred and murder inside that God says, no, 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 no. Let's lift that stink. You have a lot of hatred inside and you haven't committed murder on the outside. You're committing murder all the time and it's coming out the way you talk about this person. It's coming out the way you address that person. It's coming out the way you look down at the person. It's coming out. And if you don't do something with that, sin always takes more control and takes more and more until it does massive damage to that other person. So it's murderous, okay? Let's move on to the next section here. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, notice we've been talking about the Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus is correctly interpreting the Ten Commandments and he's correcting what the experts in the Ten Commandments, the experts of the Torah, the experts of the law, saying we've, Never broken those. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Yes, you have. Let's just lift the lid a little bit. You've broken those. And here's what he's teaching. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, this is authority. He's stating his authority as a king. I tell you that what you say and how you interpret is wrong. Here's the commandment. I'm establishing the kingdom. This is my kingdom manifesto. It's going to be from the inside out. It's just not the facade on the outside that all you are concerned about. It's going to be from the inside out. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he goes on to say, this is just as damaging to you if you don't take serious measures. And he goes into hyperbole about gouging out your eyeball. If you don't just take serious measure, measures, your whole body will be thrown into hell. So at least it's better to just lose parts of your body if that will help, which I think is hyperbole. I would say for those of us, stop playing games with your entertainment. Stop excusing lust as your entertainment. Do whatever it takes to stop that. Put covenant eyes and an accountability partner on all of your devices. Stop your lust-feeding entertainment. It's destroying you. It's warping you. Your whole body is heading into away-from-God mode, and it's going to eternally, eternally be away-from-God mode unless you reverse it, is what he's saying here. Let's review where we've been. Point number one, we want to hide our stink, but we must admit our stink. The commandments expose what's inside. Look in the mirror as a daily routine. Here's the mirror that God has given us. We're going to read a scripture that tells it. Look in the mirror as a daily routine. James 1, 22 through 25 says, anyone who does not do what it says is like someone who looks in a mirror and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, not forgetting, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So law, 
which we internally <laughs> resist. Commands which we internally, internally resist. Don't tell me what to do. I want to do whatever I want to do. We resist it because we have a deceptive heart inside of us. If we trust God and what he's telling us about himself and telling us about us, we will look into what he commands. And some people like to say, well, that was Old Testament. I didn't read any Old Testament today. I read all New Testament today. This is Jesus' correct interpretation of the commandments. It's inside out righteousness. We have to lift the lid, look intently into the commands of Jesus, and begin to learn how to allow his grace, his deeper mercy, clean things out so that what's on the inside becoming clean starts to show up on the outside too in an authentic integrity that is sweet. We might even be unconscious of how we're doing things right, but others are conscious. I want to be like that because now we're smelling sweet, not just to God, smelling like Christ, Others, those who are being saved, and those who are perishing start to say, these smell like Christ. By the way, Jesus already mentioned it. That doesn't always mean people, that smells so good, I want to be like that. There's going to be persecution. In Paul's words, it's the aroma of death to the people who resist that. They do not like being told there's an ugliness. So Jesus is very, very clear. This is war but it's a love takeover. And I'm showing you how the war in your mind, the war in your heart, can be won if you'll let me rule you. And if you'll let me rule you, let's rule the world. Let's review where we're at. We want to hide our stink, but we must admit our stink. The commandments expose what's inside, Look in the mirror as a daily routine. Point number five, and we've already gone over this in previous sessions in this series, obedience is the proof of grace received, not the cause of salvation. I want to make sure to say that very clearly. You can't obey your way into the kingdom of heaven. You must receive the kingdom of heaven from the king who is our savior, who gives us deeper grace. It's deep enough to deal with every problem inside. So the whole crowd is rejoicing because they feel this grace. They feel this love. They feel this acceptance. And he's pointing them toward a path that actually helps instead of the way the others are pointing at them in such a way that they don't know how to do what they're saying and they're not willing to lift a load. Jesus is willing to lift that load completely off of our burdened soul and take it right to the cross and take it away. He conquers it through his death, burial, and resurrection so that we can experience in our lives a death of our old life, a resurrection to a new life, and we literally learn how to carry in our bodies the death of Jesus every day. When that death starts to stink, we go, I'm crucifying that with Jesus on the cross. It's already been taken away. I'm receiving the fullness of the Spirit and the resurrection power to walk in the salvation which has been given to me. I do not deserve it. I have not 
earned it. I'm just following Jesus. I love him so. And then the power of the Spirit is able to walk with you right past the muck and the mire that had you bound up under the power of sin. It's been canceled and broken. The guilt is gone and the power is gone and resurrection life takes over and you give sweet fragrance to the deep grace of Jesus. Let him rule your life. Bring it back into order. And as you do, look around you and humbly love as you just exude grace, the sweetness of what Jesus has done. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful for you for setting up through the centuries, through the millenniums, the promises, the fulfillments, the power. Giving us your word, the sweet lever the mirror that helps us to see who we are really like and what is off and what needs to be addressed and we can just bring it before you again and come to the cross and see the image of Christ shining right back at us in that mirror. The sweet aroma where we don't even know how it happened but we loved when we used to be hateful. We're kind when we used to be mean. We're sweet when we used to be bitter. Lord God, allow your kingdom to come into me that I can be a blessing to you, honoring your name and helping people find you too from wherever they are to where you want them to be. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Next week, we start a whole new series. It's called King Jesus. I can't wait to give you more on his amazing authority and what he's calling us to, what it looks like to follow him as king.